At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thursday, January 29, hiatus edition of PFT Live slash PFTPM. A big thanks to Chris Sims for joining me yesterday. We will be doing that again very soon. And very soon we will be back every morning on Peacock and NBCSN. So you can stop asking me, when will we be back? Not that I mind the interaction, don't mind the emails, but the response to every email I get is the same after the Olympics. We haven't gone away, we haven't died yet, although that's subject to change at any moment. On that happy thought, the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers hasn't died yet, but man, it's getting closer and closer to life support. And let's go back to where we were a day ago. We were still processing the fact that Aaron Rodgers had shown up for Green Bay Packers training camp and that it had all been sold as the two sides came together over the weekend and figured things out and they're going to change his contract and take away a year and everything's fine and everyone's all in. This is a very different situation than the Russell Wilson compartmentalization of what he really wants versus what he really has in the form of his relationship with the Seahawks. He wants to try to pursue a championship his best chance to do it is to be all in, set aside his concerns, don't air them out publicly, act like they never existed. I was intrigued by what we would get from Aaron Rodgers when he met with reporters for the first time. Would he say, I don't know what the big deal was. What's everybody looking at? Is there a booger I'm not aware of? The media made all this up. The media did all this. I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. Instead, we got unvarnished uncontrolled, unrestricted, un-everything Aaron Rodgers, talking about the things that bug him. And in a nutshell, what bugs him is that the Green Bay Packers attitude, an attitude that many teams have toward their players, that you just play here. Players play, coaches coach, general managers generally manage. You do your job. You know your job. Same way that Bill Belichick does it in New England. It's one of the reasons why Tom Brady left. We pick the players. We pick the plays. We devise the concepts. We decide who's on the field. You just worry about throwing the football. That's the attitude that Rodgers has experienced for years now from the Packers. And I don't know what we thought. Did we think it was all going to just magically change? I don't get the impression it's changed. I think that trading for Randall Cobb, it's kind of a peace offering. It's a gesture. It's out of character by the Packers to do this. But I don't think it means that there's been some organic adjustment by a Packers organization. And this goes all the way back to Ron Wolf. Peter King and I talked about this weeks ago. This is the attitude that Ron Wolf brought to the Packers. And this is the attitude that a successful football team has to have about its players. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying we're at a crossroads here. Because as Aaron Rodgers pointed out yesterday, there are certain guys who rise above the churn because the churn is very real. Think about it right now. Every team 
has up to 90 guys on the roster. There will be 53 by the end of August. And that bottom 10 or 15 spots always moving, always subject to change. And as someone who's involved in managing that, you get a callus on your heart. You get a callus on your soul. Part of the job is pulling out one name, putting another name in. I've said this before, and I'm going to go ahead and say it again. If you go to a team facility and you see the room where they have all the names, and on one side, it's the names of all the guys currently on the team by position. On the other side, it's the names of all the guys who are out there, who are available at every position. And you realize how easy it is to change parts. This guy's hurt, get one of these guys. This guy's not carrying his weight, get one of these guys. Hey, one of these guys, we can get for a lot less than we're paying one of these guys. Let's go get this guy and let's get rid of this guy. The whole thing becomes dehumanized. The players are, for the teams that do it the right way, because this is the way you have to do it. You can't, you can't curl up in a ball and cry every time you let someone go. Otherwise, you'd be spending all your time curled up in a ball crying, especially in the month of August. The challenge, though, for the organizations that understand that at the end of the day, it is an extremely dehumanizing effort. And you don't sometimes view the human beings involved as human beings. You can't afford to. You can't get caught up emotionally. That's why Bill Belichick always has a wall between himself and his players. You don't want emotion to come into the business decisions that have to be made about who stays, who goes, how much this guy gets paid, how much that guy gets paid. When do we move on from this guy? When do we move on from that guy? Do we extend this guy? Do we sign that guy that we don't know? How do we go about knowing him? All that stuff. The point is it takes a backseat at some time when you have an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Russell Wilson. Who are the guys who deserve to be treated differently than the rest? And Rodgers basically said that. 17 years with the team, been around, seen a lot. At what point do you take advantage of that knowledge? At what point are you doing yourself a disservice as a football organization to not Go to Aaron Rodgers when, for example, and he was telling this story. We had a guy who was the second best receiver in camp last year, and I think he's talking about Jake Kumarov. They decide to cut him. They don't talk to me first. Maybe I could give them some information that would be helpful. He believes that he should no longer be treated as an employee. And if you watch PFT Live, and first of all, thank you if you do, you've heard me say this before. There's a problem in my mind with expecting a quarterback to be basically a member of management. They want the quarterback to show up early, stay late, work hard, set an example, hold teammates accountable, inspire, lead, maybe turn into action some of the talking points, the agenda items that the coaching staff has. And the coaching staff understands this message is going to be a lot more effective if it comes, not from me, if it comes from the quarterback. They want the quarterback to do all those things. But then when it's time to have the management meeting, they say, you need to sit outside on this stool. You're not one of us. You're still an hourly employee. You're not salaried. You, you just work here. That's not right. And I think every starting quarterback needs to be in those conversations. 
at least every starting quarterback around whom a team is building its roster. When you have one of those guys, top 10, top 15 guys, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't take advantage of what he knows, of what he thinks. You don't have to always do what he wants you to do. This isn't about handing the keys to the car over to the starting quarterback. This is about giving him an equal voice that everyone else has. Ultimately, one person's making these decisions, but that one person is listening ideally to a bunch of different people, collecting different perspectives. Why wouldn't you want the perspective of a guy who's been your quarterback for 17 years? So that's what this is all about. The problem is it butts up against the way the Packers do business. And the thing that really stood out to me was the idea that as Rodgers is being as candid as he was about his concerns regarding the way that the Packers do business, the guys who have been responsible for the way the Packers do business, they're hearing all this. They're getting aired out publicly by their starting quarterback. And look, I, part of the problem with the instant reaction news media, and I'm part of that problem, we make our assessments in the moment because we know we have to get our story done. We have to get it posted. And then maybe later the synapses begin to fire a little bit more effectively in our brains. My initial reaction yesterday was, this is great. My God, Aaron Rodgers saying what he thinks, laying it all out there, confirming all the things that had been reported, even though he then also tried to blame the media for reporting on the various things he confirmed yesterday. But then I started to think about it. I slept on it. I wrote yesterday the item about the Packers telling Rodgers they would trade him in the offseason and then not doing it. Now, that's what Rodgers believes. Paul Allen of KFAN has said that on the air. Chris Sims said it yesterday during our videos. Rodgers thought he was going to be traded. He thought the team told him he was going to be traded. And then they said, no, we're not trading you. But deeper than that, and this speaks to the dysfunction that I think still exists between Rodgers and the Packers. When we saw and heard from Brian Gutekunst, the GM of the Packers today, he disagrees with this notion that they don't treat their players well. Well, who's the one who's putting out there that they don't treat their players well? It's Aaron Rodgers. And then when Gutekunst is asked about Rodgers' status and Gutekunst doesn't say, well, you know, that 2023 year of his contract is going to be ripped up. Just, yeah, we may do that at some point. I think Rodgers is pissed at them and I think they're pissed at Rodgers. And the story for the past three months has been Rodgers is pissed at the Packers. The story hasn't been, are the Packers pissed at Rodgers? The story has been the Packers want Rodgers. Why do the Packers want Rodgers? Because Jordan Love isn't ready. That's the other part of the story here that needs to be told. And I think Aaron Rodgers knows Jordan Love isn't ready. Because I think if Jordan Love was ready, he already would be traded. And if Jordan Love was ready right now, after what Rodgers did yesterday, do you think Mark Murphy wants Rodgers there deep down? I said this all along. I've been accused of being wrong about a lot of things, and I have been wrong about a lot of things, but this is something I was right about, the front end of this. I have said for weeks, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to show up. But I also said, I think if he shows up, that enhances his chances of being traded because I don't think Mark Murphy wanted him to show up. And I think Mark Murphy wants to go forward without him. And I think if Jordan Love was ready, 
That's exactly what would happen. So this is by no means fixed. This is by no means solved. The hatchet has not been buried. Aaron Rodgers was swinging the hatchet around yesterday for everyone to see. And now here's what's going to happen. Goody Kuhn speaks. Rodgers is going to listen, to hear, to think, to analyze, to use that big brain of his. And he'll have something to say. And this dance is going to continue. The best thing that the Packers can do at this point is quit talking. But still, they're not happy with Rodgers. Rodgers isn't happy with him, them. And the question is, can they set all that aside and try to have another special season, try to get back to the NFC Championship game for what would be the third straight year and win it this time? If they have success this year, it's not going to be because of the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the front office. If they have success this year, it's going to happen in spite of the dysfunction that still lingers between player and team. And the fundamental question is, will a team be willing to give a starting quarterback, a franchise player, a seat at the table, part of the discussions, a voice in the big decisions that are made regarding personnel? The sooner that teams figure out they need to do that, the sooner we're not going to have these issues with quarterbacks wanting out, whether it's Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, or whoever's next. At one point on PFT Live, Peter King and I did a draft of the next wave of quarterbacks who make a power play. And even though Wilson is still with the Seahawks, Watson is still with the Texans, and Rodgers is still with the Packers, you can't say, oh, it's a non-story. It's not a non-story. It's not. Just because there hasn't been a trade of any of those guys yet doesn't mean that the issue isn't real. And the issue is real because of one guy, a guy who turns 44 in just a few days. Hashtag Tommy. Because the Buccaneers did exactly what Wilson, Watson, and Rodgers want teams to do. They gave the quarterback a seat at the table. They gave the quarterback a voice in the decisions. They empowered the quarterback, embraced the quarterback, and allowed the quarterback to take the team where? To the Super Bowl and win it. I think the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl last year has accelerated this discontent and the willingness of the quarterbacks to act on it. So we'll see where it goes. I'm on your side on this, Aaron. Now, I reserve the right to point out the things that I may hear or see that make me inclined to possibly criticize the tactics of Aaron Rodgers. But I'm with you, Aaron, and I'm with you, Russell, and I'm with you, Deshaun. I'm with any quarterback who goes and grinds and works and does what he needs to do to help management get through to the team. That guy should not be shut out of the process of managing the team. Devontae Adams says he deserves to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Brian Gutekunst agrees. The problem is defining what it means to be the highest paid receiver. And I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds here, but this is an example of the fundamental disagreement on how we value contracts. New money versus the total value of the deal at the moment that you sign it. And a player can be the highest paid player in the NFL at a given position if we look at new money. But when you break down the contract, it's not nearly as good. That's the problem with Xavier Howard right now in Miami. 
The Dolphins and Howard's agent two years ago bent over backwards to create a long-term extension that would, when you apply the new money analysis, put him just a click ahead of Josh Norman, who at the time was the highest paid corner in football at 15 million per year. I think Howard got to 15.05, highest paid corner in league history. But then you start scratching the deal and it's like, man, the guarantees end after 2021. And man, if this guy keeps playing well, he's not going to be very happy. And here we are. He's not happy. So there are ways to negotiate and structure contracts that can make a guy highest paid at his position. But is it really a great deal? Patrick Mahomes is the highest paid quarterback. I would take Dak Prescott's deal 100 times out of 100 over Patrick Mahomes' deal, without question. Dak Prescott at 40 million, it's a real 40 and it gets paid out over the next four years total, 160 over four, with a structure that is going to force the Cowboys to redo it based upon whatever the market is at that time after three years. Mahomes signed up for 12 years to get his average to 45 million. So there's a lot of ways to negotiate the structure. And Gutekunst agrees that Adams should be the highest paid receiver. Chances are Gutekunst wants to do it in a way that entails the lower outlay of total cash and long-term commitment than Adams does. And we'll see how that plays out. And the other issue with receivers, let's not lose sight of this, with all the great receivers coming out every year in the draft, and it seems like every year there's more and more because somebody's catching all those passes that the college quarterbacks are throwing and the seven-on-seven tournaments that happen in high school all the way through college. Somebody's catching those balls. Those guys are developing. How much money do you give to a receiver who's pushing 30 or on the wrong side of it when you can go out and get a guy round two, round three, rookie wage scale, slotted deal, not much of an investment. Same idea as what we've seen with running backs. That's something to keep an eye on. I mentioned Xavier Howard. There was a report yesterday from NFL media that two playoff teams have called regarding a possible trade for Howard. I was asked about this last night during my weekly spot on KJR with Dave Softy Mahler and Dick Fain. And my general approach after 20 years of doing this is to be very skeptical anytime that there are reports of teams being interested in trading for a player or signing a player without teams being identified. Because anyone can say, hey, you know what? You want a scoop? Hey, Ian, you want a good tweet? You want something that's going to get retweeted a couple thousand times and liked a couple thousand times more than that? A couple of playoff teams have called the Dolphins about trading for Xavier Howard. Who cares if it's true? This is all agent driven. I've seen this over and over again. I've been used that way. I've learned the hard way. You get lied to. And sometimes you get lied to and you don't really care because you know what? At the end of the day, you're checking a box. You're getting a scoop. Who's going to prove that it was a lie? How can you disprove it? Are all the playoff teams going to come out with their general managers, coaches, and owners and take lie detector tests that they didn't call? It's impossible to disprove. And here's why it's done. It's done to goose the market. Because all it takes is one of those other playoff teams or a team that wants to be a playoff team to say, oh, geez, I wonder who the two playoff teams are. I wonder if it's a team in our division. Maybe we should call. Maybe we should try to get it. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Miami's phone to ring off the hook. Because if the Dolphins aren't going to rip up the contract that Howard signed two years ago, they need someone else to do it. Someone who trades for Howard. 
Part of the trade is going to be give him the contract he wants, or you're going to inherit the problem the Dolphins currently have. So be skeptical. Anytime there are unnamed teams that are interested in trading for a player or signing a player, be skeptical because there is every incentive for that player's agent to spread bullcrap in order to get others to become interested. When specific teams are tied to a guy, like the Eagles to Deshaun Watson, take that to the bank. If someone was reporting, well, there are three teams interested in trading for Deshaun Watson, but they're not telling us the names, quite likely that someone with an agenda in making that deal happen is getting the word out even if it's not true that those things are occurring. One last item of new business to tend to. I wrote this just before I came down to do the video. I caught wind of it a couple of days ago. Ryan Glassbeagle texted me the link from LarryBrownSports.com about a lawsuit involving Titans receiver Julio Jones and former teammate in Atlanta, Roddy White, something about black market cannabis sales and money laundering. And I decided I wanted to actually see the lawsuit before I wrote anything about it. And if I recall correctly, the item at LarryBrownSports.com didn't actually have the lawsuit. The Tennessean has a story that has at the bottom the lawsuit embedded. Because look, and I, for those of you who don't know, I've used to practice law. I'm not bragging about that. I don't care about that other than it gives me the ability to explain to you what's happening here based on my own experience. And even though Jones' lawyer, and it's the lawyer who represents the holding company that was involved in this legal cannabis operation, the argument is this, in a nutshell, Jones and White and others allegedly were involved in diverting product from an otherwise legal marijuana and cannabis cultivation, distribution, and sales business to sell the way they used to sell it before it became illegal to sell it or legal to sell it. I got most of that right. So when you look at the complaint, and again, from the perspective of those being sued, the statement is that the lawsuit is meritless. One thing I can tell you from my experience, that's usually the response. Very rarely does the person who is sued tell their lawyer to speak to the press and say, holy shit, they caught us. Doesn't happen. I hope they bleep that. Or, or maybe not. It's not like we're on the air anywhere. So, and or will be for that matter. Uh, so I, I decided I wanted to see the actual legal document because you can learn a lot from the way a legal document is written. And it's a 26 page civil complaint filed in California State Court in Los Angeles County. And it's not some crazy pro se complaint that just rambles on and on and is full of weird terms and doesn't look professional. This is a professionally drafted civil complaint that looks like every other civil complaint that ever is drafted that looks like a normal civil complaint. There's nothing that screams out, this is just goofy, this is frivolous, this is meritless, this is going to be summarily dismissed before we ever address the allegations. And there are strong allegations in there. Like every civil complaint, it begins with allegations. The next step, I believe, will be some sort of an effort to dismiss the case. That happens fairly frequently. It rarely succeeds. Then the question becomes, what will the plaintiff's attorneys learn through the discovery process? 
produce all documents relating to this, produce all documents relating to that, produce all text messages, produce all mobile devices, produce this, produce that. You end up getting stacks and stacks, sometimes rooms full of documents. I think in a case like this, it shouldn't be that many, but they embark on the process of getting them. And then at some point, unless the case is settled or dismissed, it's time for Julio Jones to show up at a lawyer's office, sit at the head of the table, and be asked a bunch of questions under oath while being videotaped. Roddy White, same thing. Aggressive, tough questions from lawyers who have done this over and over and over again and who know how to do it in a way that makes people look like they're hiding something, makes, makes people look like they're tell, not telling the truth. That's part of the skill. So I don't know what happened here and I don't know what didn't happen here, but there's a lawsuit that makes the allegations and that lawsuit is moving forward. And if that lawsuit doesn't get settled or dismissed, who knows where it's going to go, but it could get very interesting. All right. I took some questions this morning. This is one of the days where I pull them up completely and totally blind and see what we have. What do we have here? Scrolling for the Michael Scott gif. I think I'm getting, where is it? Here it is. Uh, we got a few. Let's see if any are worth answering. Tom Marshall at a red zone out. Did the Packers give anything to Aaron Rodgers that they really didn't want to? Well, so far they haven't given him anything. And look, kids, get it in writing. As I said about this idea that they'll revisit his status after the season, it's a verbal promise. Verbal promises are not worth the paper they're not written on. And we know that from today, Brian Gutekunst saying, well, we may tear up the 2023 year of his contract. We may. I thought you were. I thought that was what got him to come back. Well, you know what? He's back now. What? Huh? What did we do? Well, we want this in exchange. You, you misread the email or you didn't hear us correctly. No, for us to do that, we want this. Because look, I think the Packers would prefer to have three years left on the contract because if they're going to trade him after the season, you'd rather trade two more years than one more year. You're going to get more if you're shipping to a new team, an Aaron Rodgers who isn't going to be a free agent after only one season. So that's the reason for the Packers to maybe say, mm, we're not so sure about this. And if, if it's true that they told him they were going to trade him this past off season, and then eventually said, mm, we're not so sure about this. What's the old saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I think that's the right saying. I prefer the George Bush version of it, frankly. But I think the right saying is, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know. Look, I'm still going to give Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt when it comes to being really smart. But not getting that kind of a promise in writing before you walk through the door, not smart. Especially when, just a few days later, it looks like Brian Gutekunst and the Packers are a little wobbly about whether or not they're actually going to follow through on it. David Mitchell, if it was a condition for Aaron Rodgers returning to Green Bay was bringing Cobb back, why didn't Houston fleece Green Bay? Well, I think Houston was just happy to dump $5.25 million in guaranteed salary. I think with a new GM who maybe the Packers heard really didn't want to keep Randall Cobb around, but he had a fully guaranteed salary of $8.25 million this year. The deal is the Texans get a sixth-round pick and the Texans pay $3 million of the money that they were going to pay anyway. They save $5.25 million and get a sixth-round pick and move on from a guy that maybe Nick Casario 
would have wanted to move on from if he could. So, and the, here's the other thing too, general observation. When it comes to NFL trades, it's never a good idea to fleece someone or to be perceived as fleecing someone because you wanna do business with those people again. You wanna be able to make other trades. You don't wanna be known as someone that you always gotta watch out for. You gotta watch out for him. Oh, he may fleece you. Look at what he did to that team. And also the broader political reality, you've got 32 different businesses in the industry. And there are human beings who have the jobs at those other teams. And you need a robust network of people who don't hate you if you wanna be able to find jobs with other teams when your job with this team inevitably ends. So that's another reason not to fleece the uh, Green Bay Packers to get Randall Cobb. All right. Brandon Elkins, it'd be one thing if the Packers felt Jordan Love just needed one more year to prepare, but it appears they have no idea if he can truly play at all. How bad is the front office going to look if Aaron Rodgers does leave and go into uh, a team and win a Super Bowl elsewhere? It's a hell of a gamble. Why not swallow your pride, sign Rodgers to an extension, and worry about another quarterback down the road? Look, that's a great point. And just because Jordan Love isn't ready now doesn't mean he won't be ready at some point. Think about last year. There was no off-season program to speak of. There was no preseason for him to get reps. There was no opportunity for him to play or even dress in the regular season or the postseason. They got to find out what he can do. He's not ready now. Can they get him ready? And Sims and I were texting earlier this morning about how this all came to be. The Packers version of it is, well, we wanted Justin Jefferson, the receiver who went to the Vikings at 22. Packers are sitting down there at 30. There goes Justin Jefferson at 22. Then they want Brandon Ayuk. Well, the 49ers at 31 jumped to 25 with the Chargers to get Brandon Ayuk. There goes Ayuk. So the top two receivers that they wanted are gone. And their reaction isn't, let's figure out how to get the third receiver that we like because surely they liked another one. Surely they didn't think it was a two receiver class. Instead of that, they decide to pivot to a quarterback succession plan and they trade up from 30 to 26 to get him. I think they were shell-shocked after losing out on the two guys that they wanted. I think they thought one of them was going to sneak through to 30 and they were wrong, obviously. And then they reacted in a weird way. And what I told Sims today is I have a feeling that going into the draft, there were two camps in the Green Bay front office. One, draft a receiver. Two, draft a quarterback. And I think the draft a receiver crowd won out until Jefferson and Ayuk were picked. Then the draft a quarterback crowd won the fight. Hey, we didn't get the two receivers that we had at the top of our board. Quarterback that we had at the top of our board is still there. Let's just take him. And then you throw in, oh, and by the way, let's not sit around and watch him get taken too. Hey, whoever told us that Jefferson or Ayuk would be there at 30, you also think Jordan Love is going to be there at 30. We're not going to take that chance. So I think they went into it with kind of competing plans and plan A got abandoned after Jefferson and Ayuk were selected. And then plan B became plan A with greater urgency after they got caught flat-footed when they got leapfrogged by the San Francisco 49ers. All right, Jeremy York, The Impact 99. Greetings, Mike. Greetings, Jeremy. 
This time of year, teams say the most hopeful things because they can. That being said, what are the actual expectations for teams like Atlanta with a new regime and Dallas trying to be the most popular kid in class again? I, I saw that Terry Fontenot, the new GM of the Falcons, says it's disrespectful to think they're not going to be a good team. Here's the reality. There will be bad teams. 272 games. A winner and a loser for every game, except for the games where there's a tie, obviously. And when it all shakes out, it's not going to be half the league is nine and eight and the other half is eight and nine. There's going to be good teams, which means there's going to be bad teams. And have the Falcons done enough to address their issues? And anytime you've got new coach, new GM combo, man, that's a tall order. Now the Falcons did it in 2008. New coach, new GM, and new quarterback. Matt Ryan was a rookie then. Mike Smith, Thomas Dimitrov, Matt Ryan, they went to the playoffs in 2008. So it's not impossible. And we see every year, Bruce Arians mentioned this yesterday, we see every year that there's a team that we weren't really thinking about that gets its act together and becomes a contender. So realistically, I think the Falcons are going to be competing with the Panthers for third place in the division and probably don't have a shot at making it to the playoffs this year. I just think getting in shouting distance of 500 would be a good year for them this year. For the Cowboys, keep guys healthy. Have your team play to its potential. They could win the division. They could make some noise. They could be like they were. You know, we see it pop every few years where they get it together. They just can't sustain it. This could be one of the years where it pops. Lee Dale, UK. What happens if Zach Wilson and the Jets can't sign a deal? As I see it, it's either back to the draft next year or Zach or some sort of a trade agreed involving a contract. Look, I, here's, here's what I think is going to happen. I think he's eventually going to sign, which is what makes the refusal to sign him so ridiculous. It's a deadline-driven business. When's the real deadline? It's not week one. When you've got a young franchise quarterback that you hope will be your next Joe Namath, they had that one year with Brett Favre. They didn't even make it to the playoffs that year, though. So was he really a franchise quarterback? I think they truly haven't had one since Joe Namath. You're on the front end of this guy's career. You have James Morgan and Mike White as your other quarterbacks, at least as of the other day. I don't know if they work guys out or sign guys. I don't know. I don't care. All I care about is they got to get Zach Wilson in camp and they eventually will. So if they eventually will just buckle, just cave. There are certain points where you have to be smart enough to say, we're not going to apply this cookie cutter approach and insist on bullying you so we can bully others. Hey, if we can get Zach Wilson, and I think that's kind of what's going on here. If we can get Zach Wilson to agree to X, Y, and Z, then we can get everybody else to agree to X, Y, and Z. And I don't think Wilson's going to do it. He's represented by Brian Ayrault, who had Joey Bosa a few years ago when Bosa stayed out for all of training camp and all of the preseason. And it's kind of different with a quarterback. You need your quarterback to come in and get up to speed. And look on top of it, the Jets are dealing with the fact that Greg Knapp died last week. Their passing game coordinator. So I, I, uh, I think they just need to get it done. He's not going to sit out all year and re-enter the draft. He's not. And the Jets aren't going to trade him to someone else and trade for Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers. That's not going to happen either. He's going to be their quarterback. And the sooner they get him in there, the better off they will be and the better off he will be. And it's ridiculous that it's at this point. But as someone told me the other day, this is why bad teams stay bad. All right, I think I saw one more here that I liked. What else do we have? Oh, 
Richard Baggins. Last question for the day. Why did Bruce Arians take your article so personally? He seemed a little bit over the top in his response. This deals with, and I haven't talked about this here yet. I wrote about it. Let me tell you the story real quickly here. If you're already listening at this point, you'll probably listen for a few more minutes. The few of you that are still with me. I've been very curious about how teams would go about distinguishing vaccinated from unvaccinated players on the practice field and during games. And at one point I was told by someone with the league off the record that the league and the union were working to come up with a system so that the unvaccinated players or the vaccinated players or both could be visually identified. I mean, you either have a system for vaccinated and unvaccinated or a system for one or the other, which by implication, if you're not wearing the wristband, you're not in that group. In Pittsburgh, for example, unvaccinated players wearing a yellow wristband, vaccinated players not wearing anything. So I started asking some of the teams because I asked the league last week for an official on the record explanation. What is the procedure gonna be? for determining vaccinated from unvaccinated on the practice field and during games. The league said, ask the teams. So I started asking the teams. And among the teams I asked, because number one, they're high profile this year because they won the Super Bowl. Number two, they were one of, the, one of the first teams back on the practice field. Hey, Buccaneers, what are you doing? What are you doing on the practice field? Red wristbands and yellow wristbands. Well, okay, which is which? Red for vaccinated, yellow for unvaccinated. Okay, so... Fine, simple. And all the conversations I had were on the record. I'm not gonna out the person I dealt with, but I've got the text messages. So it was clear to me that that's what the team was doing. Red for vaccinated, yellow for unvaccinated. And then I asked a follow-up, hey, I'm looking at some of these pictures from your practice on Sunday. I see some guys with no wristband at all. What gives? And it wasn't, oh, oh, no, 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 you, you don't understand. It's only in the building. It's not on the practice field. That wasn't said to me ever. And that's the setup for what Bruce Arians did earlier this week when he showed up at his press conference and he starts spouting off with profanity about red wristbands, yellow wristbands, saying we should be fine because guys aren't wearing wristbands. This is bleepity bleep bleep bleep. I was blown away by it because everything we wrote, everything we reported, everything we said came directly from his staff on the record. And we never said they should be fined for it. I think he reacted because number one, he didn't understand what we reported and what we didn't report because we didn't say they should be fined. Number two, he didn't understand how we got the information that we, we got the information directly from his staff. And number three, I think he's a little pissed off because we've been poking the bear. We've been trying to hold them accountable. You know, the higher that a team climbs, the more it, seems to want to think that it's above question. And, and that happens because here's what occurs. When a team emerges as a great team, so many in the media fall all over that team and they won't risk jeopardizing their access. Hey, I want to talk to some Buccaneers coaches and players. I want them to like me. I want them to, to cooperate with me. So I'm going to look the other way when they're doing something they shouldn't do. Well, hell, last year they were blatantly tampering with Tom Brady. And I've said that. And they should have been fined for it. And they should have lost a draft pick for it. But the league looked the other way. And then last year they hide Tom Brady's knee injury, torn MCL all year long. They should be fined for that. They violated every injury report they submitted, in my estimation. So I, I think that the fact that he characterized our report on the vaccination wristbands as saying they should be fined. That tells me that what's pissing him off at his core is the fact that I've been willing to say 
that they're playing fast and loose with the rules. And hey, you know what? Congratulations. It worked. You won the Super Bowl. You have that big ass ring that can be seen from Mars. It worked. The end justified the means. But that doesn't mean that we should ignore that the means not only failed to comply with the rules, but it was pretty blatant. I, mean, I think everybody's cheating in the NFL at some level or another, and some are a little more graceful about it than others. Buccaneers last year, when it comes to tampering with Tom Brady and hiding his knee injury, it was bull in the china shop stuff. But it worked. They got away with it. So that's the story to answer your question. And that's the end of today's hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFT PM. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. And as always, around the clock, full updates every hour and more often than that, if you follow us, because you'll see that days like this, it's constantly new stories popping up. Check us out at profootballtalk.com and have a great Thursday. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.